0: Oh so I creep yeah just keep it on the down low cuz nobody got to know <laughs> Oh I am creeping with this with this episode Roger Wow, we finally got it started. <laughs>
1: we had, we had- <laughs> this has been a long time coming today, and I was literally at the point that I was going to break my fucking computer. But this microphone better sound so fucking good because listeners, you know what one issue I have every time I listen to our podcast and I listen to every fucking episode because I'm crazy and I'm manic. I'm always like, God, Troy always sounds so much better than me. I have like a Jan Brady moment with Troy. I get so jealous. Your voice velvet tongue is so pure. Well, you, you got, you, you remedied them. Uh, Roger went out and bought a, a new microphone
0: for the show. So let's hope it sounds better guys you'll have to let them know because yeah we had about we had some technical difficulties we're about <laughs> I thought Roger was going to start crying and and cancel tonight because he was getting frustrated but here we are and we are creeping i I'm, Roger have you been creeping around these last
1: few days you know I feel like everything I do at this point in my life is just creeping. It's just me, like, in the shadows, lurking. All I do is when I'm working, I'm on a fucking headset. I'm just a disembodied voice. People can't see my face. Here I'm a disembodied voice. People can't see my face. I'm this creepy, ominous presence in people's life. And I feel like the title of this movie, I feel like it applies directly to me right now. (laughs) So um, I was very excited to watch it. I'd heard really good things about this film from a lot of people. And I had never seen it before. And Troy, you and I often kind of will go off and talk about like first person POV style horror cinema, you know, Um, handheld style cinema and whether or not we find it effective. I'm often a naysayer. But recently we talked about our favorite first person perspective films, POV films in our recent Patreon. And I got to say, I kind of ate my own words because it was a Patreon in which like there were so many titles that I was thinking about that I was like, fuck, like, I love all of these movies. Um, and here's one I hadn't seen. So it was another chance for me to test my theory. Do I, do I dislike first person POV horror or am I actually a fan of it? And um, I, you know, I jumped into this blind. I had not seen it before. I knew very little to basically nothing about it at all. Um, I, I was very eager and I'm, I'm happy that you picked this title because I, I do have some definite thoughts about this film.
0: That's great. I, I feel like it's a film that you definitely take something away from. Um, upon first viewing, you know, I looked at it in a totally different way than I did these subsequent viewings for this particular episode. There, there's a lot going on, but there's really not a lot going on. And I think that's where the film really runs a, a, a fine balance between like, God, being like absolutely terrifying, but then on the other hand, just being a, 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 a like kind of a oh, do I even want to say like a a tragedy about a, a man who's just <laughs> a manipulative um, sociopath that is lonely. I, I I don't know. I mean, the character of and we're gonna we're gonna get there with the character of um of Joseph in this film is so intriguing to me um, because you are left wondering so many things after this film. And if you guys, if you don't know, we are discussing the 2014 film creep directed by uh, Patrick Bryce, who also stars in it as Aaron and starring the uh, playing opposite, the brilliant Mark DePlace, who is a great actor um, and brings so much to this role. And I feel like that's why the movie works is because of his performance Um, he is, I mean, talk about kind of an underrated horror performance. I think this falls into that category because he, he does so much again, uh, what's the word manipulation? I don't know. I'm very curious to to hear what you, what you want to, what you think about this movie, Roger. Um, it's, it's a Blumhouse Jason Blum produced it. It's one of Blumhouse's early films and kind of a film that I think got them a lot of buzz as a, as a production company. Um, Now they went on to ruin the Halloween trilogy and they're probably going to ruin the exorcist, but Hey, they still have creep. They still have creep, which again, I think what makes this film for me effective Roger is just the simplicity of it all.
1: You know, I think, my big thing, like you said, underrated. And I think another word that comes to mind is understated. Like what an understated performance, because when you think of what you're about to, what I mean, what you're about to find out about the character of Joseph, um, this is something that could have been so like unhinged manic in the sense of like Rebecca Gayhart in an urban legend per- style performance, you know, like this could have been such a big, to do and he chooses to be very collected and controlled in how he approaches his dialogue but there is so much like when you listen to what he's saying there's such still an unhinged nature to what he is saying he's just fully in control of it while still being completely mentally unstable and i think what makes the character joseph so scary to me you know as we transition into this review of creep is that it provides for you what is, again, a completely unhinged individual who just seems to be self-aware of that fact um, and decides to just exist that way and seems to have been doing so for quite a while based off of what we've learned. This is somebody who doesn't seem to have like a vengeance kill in mind or doing it for the sake of some, some real like driven purpose it literally seems like what he's doing is simply for his own like amusement and entertainment and infatuation Um, and it's as simple as that Um, but he has such a grasp over it and that makes it really uh, very uncomfortable to watch and the more you learn about the character as it goes on like yeah it's really a phenomenal performance I mean I'm going to say it right off the bat like I very much enjoyed this film Um, it, it completely went against my expectations in so many ways it's a film with I mean, pretty much almost zero body count until you get to the very end. It's not here to try to give you a truly gory, uh, you know, just blood splattered, nauseating experience like some of these other films that we saw coming out at that time. Like this is not a film that's at all worried about the gore factor. There's, I mean, is there really any blood in this film at all? Like there's not. No, it's just completely built on, The discomfort and the building suspense and the lack of understanding or knowledge that you really have of this character of Joseph who you are following the character of Aaron. You are just as blind as he is. He knows nothing about this character either. So everything that Aaron's learning through his documentary style filmmaking, you too as the viewer are learning it along with him. And that makes for a truly just... uh, creepy experience uh, because you don't know what to expect. Going into this blind was the best thing I could have done for this review because I had no fucking idea.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you went in blind. I knew you hadn't seen it. Uh, And, you know, I don't necessarily know if it's found footage, so to speak, as more rather than more of a first person narrative, uh, I guess there's definitely found footage elements to the film. Um, but like like the best found footage films Roger, it, the, the plot of this is so simplistic. Um, and what you have, yeah, the film starts out. we meet our our protagonist Aaron, uh, played by Patrick Patrick Bryce who is the director of the film as well. And I gotta lead into this also saying this is a two-man show. like there is no other people in this film. The cast consists of two people, Um, and we're introduced to Aaron, who it seems like he's just, uh, you know, you don't, because Aaron is the, because we're seeing everything from his lens, from behind his lens, we really don't get to know a a lot about Aaron's personality, his background. Towards the end of the film, we're given a little bit more time with him, but, you know, as he starts to film out, he's just kind of this uh, enigma of a character who we find out is on his way to a, uh, a mountain house because he took a job that he found over like Craigslist that's going to pay him $1,000 a day uh, just to, to film. That's basically all he knows is the ad said it had to be you know $1,000 for eight hours of filming and discretion was needed. And he's driving through this very picturesque uh, mountainous town just pondering, you know, who could this be? You know, maybe I'm going to get up there and it's going to be some, you know, 40 some year old woman who's just looking for a young boy to to take advantage of. Um, And I mean, he gets to his location, which is a kind of a, I don't know, it's like a mountain resort, maybe like a, what do you want to call it? Like a cabin. I don't know. It has a yellow door. That was the, that was the signal. You're supposed to find a yellow door. And so he gets out of his car. He goes and knocks. There's no answer. He calls the person, still no answer. So he goes back down to his car, gets in, and is immediately startled by who we find out is Joseph pounding on his car window right away. I mean, I wouldn't say like Joseph gives off like creepy vibes right away. He's just like overtly friendly and maybe doesn't necessarily understand like uh, personal space or you know how to properly maybe interact with with somebody f- the first time they meet them right I mean he's right away he's like oh this is going to be such a wonderful day because you have a very kind face and then he makes Aaron get get out of the car and give him a, a big hug and I mean that's that's the basis of this film These two are these two are kind of brought together by this guise of Aaron needing to film for him for the day. and We find out why here in the next scene. But I mean, it's just right right away. We're introduced to these two and we they're the only two characters in the entire film, which I think does a
1: tremendous favor. I like that you just jumped right into it, because honestly, I think this film is this very much differs from any title that we've covered so far, specifically because of that fact. Like, this truly is a two-man show. Um, there is a disembodied voice of another character over the phone a little bit later, but you literally do not encounter anybody else over the course of this movie. Um, and so it's, it's you know, it's very dependent on strong performances. You get two of them. Um, it's also very dependent on some unique and original cinematography and the sense of how they're going to handle, you know, this documentary style filmmaking, they choose to do something consistently over the course of the film that could have been really annoying in the sense of that it's a constant jump scare, but it also, when it, when, when tension does get high, you are on the edge of your seat. I haven't had a film that I've watched through my hands and like my fingers over my eyes like this in a while. Um, and it's because everything had been, So uncomfortable right off the bat. Like this, this moment where you meet Joseph the first time—you meet him—it's a jump scare. The camera turns; he's in the glass. It's immediately established that this individual is bringing with him a great level of discomfort um, for both for Aaron and for you as the viewer. And you cannot pinpoint like what is going on. And one thing I find really interesting about this movie is even at the end of it, you're you still cannot pinpoint exactly what his end-all, be-all motivation driving forces? You know, you kind of can, like, assume, but it's not like you're given this great sense of closure or conclusion with this movie. Um, and that's really something, like, the level of intrigue that comes with the character of Joseph, um, as you yourself as the viewer and as Aaron, the character, are trying to really understand what makes him tick. This movie chooses to not give you a lot of answers. It keeps things very vague, and that too works in its favor. And that really adds to, I think, what makes this film feel pretty authentic and realistic for what it's trying to do. Um, It doesn't try to overdo it at any shot. There's no CGI. There's no big explosions. It's not like you have aliens or anything coming into play. It is simple. It is just uncomfortable. And it is a creepy man making creepy choices that make you feel... Just ugh, like your skin's crawling, the whole fucking movie. So the fact they make me feel that way right off the bat, super impressive.
0: It's super grounded in reality, you know. And we we had our little discussion about found footage on our Patreon, and and you know, found footage is, I would say, primarily made up of paranormal films. Would you agree? You know, the found footage found footage genre lends itself very well to paranormal. Uh, themes: people going to look for legends of witches, or people living in a haunted house, or people going to explore insane a, a asylums. That stuff's scary, but it's maybe a little less scary because if you don't fully believe in the paranormal, it's not going to have the same effect on you. This could happen, and I got to, I got to, I got to believe that you know the the director Patrick Bryce and the writer, I think he wrote the film as well, that they they took, you know some stories that made national headlines like the Craigslist killer. That was a real thing. There was a person who found victims off a Craigslist and killed them. And I'm assuming they took that seed idea and fleshed it into this film. And I got to say, what I like about this film is that nothing is like overtly fucked up. Do you know what I mean? Are you getting what I mean? Like nothing really happens to Aaron that is like, overtly fucked up Uh, Joseph doesn't ever do anything that's like oh god get the fuck out of there and I I I like that about the film because like what you mentioned at the beginning of the review this could have went batshit crazy like it could have been a point where Joseph was doing all kinds of shit to Aaron tying him up I mean the 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 stuff that Joseph does to Aaron throughout the film is just very subtle and I wouldn't even say it's disturbing it's just A level of like, okay, this guy is not, there's something not connecting with him socially. He doesn't know boundaries or he doesn't know how to interact. He just, he doesn't do anything that's like, wow, fuck. You know? And I think that's what I like about this film is it's, it never goes there.
1: Aaron as a character, even though we really don't get to know a ton about him, like, as you mentioned, like for the first chunk of the movie, you were seeing things through his lens, literally, you're barely seeing Aaron at all. So by the time you hit the final stretch of the film, and Aaron becomes the focus, and it, it shifts a little bit, Aaron makes a few choices that I think in other films, viewers could be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, absolutely not. These are awful decisions. But because of the way they present the story as it slowly unfolds, and there aren't so many layers to this. Like, it's not like you are, like you just said, it's not like you go through this experience where the character of Joseph had, like, physically fucked him up and done all these awful things to him. It's something that, like, by the time you get to the final, like, 15 minutes of the movie... If, if anything, they're still playing with your emotions as the viewer as to how you feel about the character of Joseph. You completely don't know what to anticipate with this character. And I think that takes some, like some true craftsmanship behind the camera, you know, crafting this film to be able to maintain that level of just like complete control over the character and thus over the, the, the viewer. Because literally I was checking the time. I was like, how is there still 10 minutes left in this movie? only 10 minutes left in this movie. And I still am at a point where I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. Like, am I, am I going to be suddenly shocked at the outcome at the reveal for what this character, Joseph has been plotting all along, or is there going to be some reveal here? That's completely out of left field. Like they really kept me on the edge of my seat the whole fucking time. And I mean it when I say I was looking through my fingers too. Like I am shocked that even though this film is pretty, simplistic in its structure and its overall intention, the moments of suspense in this movie are masterful. I was shocked at how scared I was. I don't want to go out into my living room right now. I am scared that there will be people in a wolf mask grinding on my door. Like simple, simple things that honestly probably shouldn't have even been scary, but because of the way they filmed it and because of the way they structured this character, it fucking was. Joseph Here's the thing. Joseph is a likable character.
0: He's a dynamic character. He has charisma. He's magnetic. And you as the viewer are almost as enamored by him as Aaron becomes. Because even when Aaron does get back home, he can't stop thinking about his interactions with Joseph. And it's not necessarily because, like you said, or we said, it's not because Joseph did anything terrible to him. It's just Joseph got under his skin. And we can't decide if it's in a good way or a bad way. But Joseph got under Aaron's skin. And what we find out, and I think the film, or Joseph, does a very good job of right away when they get, when they go into when Joseph takes Aaron into his house and tells him, hey, this is our summer vacation house. We've been coming here for six years. Here's the deal. Right away, Joseph uh, basically, I don't want to say begs for sympathy, but Joseph becomes a very sympathetic character. We all, we feel sorry for him. Aaron feels sorry for him because we find out Joseph wants Aaron. The reason he brought him here, the reason he's paying him a thousand dollars is Joseph reveals that he has a brain tumor. Then it's, it's inoperable. He has two to three months to live on top of that. His wife is pregnant. And by the time she gives birth to their child, who they're calling buddy, Joseph will be dead. And much like the Michael Keaton movie, My Life, Joseph wants to document a day in the life of him so that his son has something to remember him and and, and get to know his father by. So basically he tells Aaron, "Aaron, your job is just to follow me around all day with the camera. Keep it on. I just want to document myself, my real self, so that my son or my child will... um, We'll, we'll be able to say at least he he knew his father. He pays him right away, gives him the money. He said, okay, this is no longer a business endeavor. We're, we're a partnership and we are going to take a journey into the heart. And we're like, oh my God, this poor man is dying of a brain tumor. This is so sad. Like, wow. Like, w- 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 wow, wow. Like, I don't want to see. But then the very first thing that I would say is t- kind of crossing the line a little bit, a little bit. And this is where the film, like I said, runs a very fine line right after he does this. He's like, Oh, we're going up to the bathtub I'm going up to take a bath. And he tells Aaron to record him while he's in the bathtub. And he's like stripping down naked in front of Aaron.
1: And they just met like literally. I mean, there's a few things about the introduction to this character that like, even on my first viewing, and of course, like you're suspecting this character because it's a horror movie and the movie is called Creep. Like, what are you, what else are you going to think? You know, um, but you know, subtle, it's very, very subtle, but there's certain things. Like if you listen to the things that Joseph is saying and spewing, he's constantly talking. He's a lot, he is a lot to handle, and he's in these skin tight fucking running pants. And it's not even like this is a handsome guy. He's kind of like an he's kinda like he's he's kind of homely, which makes even more uncomfortable, you know, to me. It's not like they got some studly guy, like you're watching like American Psycho and he's fucking beautiful, but he's also killing people. This guy is an average everyday Schmo and that helps here you know that helps so when he does start stripping down getting ready to get naked in the tub you're like oh like this is just not what i anticipated right off the bat but like the whole story about like going into remission what i think is really maniacal about this character in the great scheme of things is like the story that he throws out right away like how is aaron in his position going to say no you know, how are you, if you're presented with this situation where somebody tells you like, it's, you know, I survived cancer, I was in remission, and then I started having issues with like my brain firing off. So I went to have it looked at and oh, turns out I have a, t- a tennis ball size brain tumor, inoperable, but I'm staying positive. Like A, that's fucking sad. Of course, I'm going to try to help this guy. And he's paid me right away. Like, why am I going to think there's anything up? B, when you hear that, Immediately, any of his weird quirks or his, like, you know, his social issues, because there are several, become like, I don't want to say palatable, but you're like, oh, God, this guy has a fucking brain tumor. He's definitely, like, not going to be right in his head space. So I'm just going to kind of, like, smile and grin through it because this is, like, obviously what he's going through. And I'm not going to fucking say anything. I'm not going to be that asshole, you know? I mean, I grew up with a mother who had cancer, and, like, she was all over the place by the last stretch of it. Her mindset was – she'd be in a great mood one moment, crazy fucking – off a rock or the next and it was just like you just kind of had to go with it because this person's sick and they're dying and so when I heard this story I was like oh my god like does he have cancer (laughs) like I don't think he the thing is you don't even have like a clear for sure either way so like you still don't know how you feel about it which is really genius on behalf of the filmmakers as well but so much is left up in the air So much of it's left up in the air, but I really do think this guy is just as fucking maniacal as we suspect him to be. And the fact that he would go for that right off the bat does add an undercurrent of darkness to this character. And like you've been saying, manipulation. But there is a level of... It feels like there's no no limit to really where he'll go with his nonsense and his lies. And that does make him all the more intimidating
0: yeah, this this dude is a master, master manipulator. And yeah, you're right. I, 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 I'm wondering if throughout the film there are truths to some of the stuff that he that he says. And I think that's another really brilliant part of the film is that the character is played so well by Mark Deplace that it leaves me wondering, like, is he maybe telling the truth about some some stuff or is this all just a giant ruse? But I'm going to tell you, the minute he gets in this bathtub, he starts to tell his son into the camera that, you know what? You're never going to get a chance to do a tubby with me. And a tubby was basically what him and his dad did when he was a kid. His dad would get him in the bathtub and they would do something called a tubby. And Joseph proceeds to go through the entire Action of picking his little baby up, putting it in the tub with him, um, smelling its feet and saying, "Ooh, stinky, stinky. Oh, you know, just doing all this weird stuff uh, right down to like pretending that the baby is laying on his chest and the bathtub sleeping. Um, I have so many questions here. This is <laughs> I never took a bath with my dad to the point where he was doing all this shit to me. And I'm wondering like, okay, I may be overthinking this, but there is an undeniable homosexual undertone to this entire film. Oh. I'm not even saying, I mean, it's blatant. I mean, it's there. I mean, Joseph is very, I mean, it's, it's there. So to reveal this early on that like he took a bath with with his dad and like, did all of this stuff in the bathtub with his dad. I'm wondering, I may be off here, but I'm wondering if we're supposed to believe that maybe something happened to him as a child by his father. And that's led to this. I don't know. I I just, this whole thing is just awkwardly weird to me. And then when the, when the kind of the blatant homosexual elements come into the film, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, am I, overthinking it or could there be something to
1: more to this? No, I think that because there's such a subtle, let me start again. I think because so many of the things that are introduced regarding Joseph are so subtle and, and not completely explained a lot of this, I think you have to kind of figure out for yourself as the viewer. And honestly, it's kind of like a pick your own adventure. Like, do you believe it's true? Do you believe he's lying? There's a lot of strings that are not tied up by the end of this movie. And I think that's one of the really the masterful elements of, of what makes this movie so good is the fact that they they decide to not give you a lot of the pieces of the puzzle and they leave it for you as the viewer after you've concluded viewing this movie to decide for yourself you know, what you think to be the truth um, behind Joseph and his story, his overall story and everything you find out about him. Um, so this whole thing with the father... It's really impressive to me because it's supposed to be what is this really touching moment, you know? Like, if you think about it, like, I mean, parents do bathe with their kids. Okay, I can can buy it. But if you watch, like, the intensity in him and what he's doing and the fixation in the moment, there's just a very uh, unusual uh, element to this guy that it's just hard to put your finger on what makes him so creepy. Um, And it really is something to be said about that performance because it is so reserved at times and it's so uh, intentional with all of the choices that he makes. It really is so fucking impressive, but also like he launches into it right away. Like I don't think there's a single thing he says that doesn't have some kind of clockwork spinning behind it as to, um, what Joseph's ulterior motives are. Like this performance is a very intentional and even in his most likable moments when he seems really endearing and empowering as a cancer survivor, you still know there's something off. You just, you yourself as the viewer don't want to think it because you feel like you're thinking something shitty about a cancer survivor. So you feel guilty. You know what I mean?
0: And I think, again, and that was that's part of the brilliance of, of the film is to start it off with us thinking, us the viewer and Aaron especially Aaron thinking that this guy is does dying. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. Anybody, unless you're a heartless black-hearted piece of shit. If somebody is in front of you that's, that, that they're saying they have two months to live and they want you to do this, this, and this, you are going to oblige. So Aaron just has no choice, but to sit here and, and watch this theatrical performance of a tubby, um, which even the name of it, a tubby, that kind of, does that creep you out? Ugh. Ooh, it's time for a tubby. If my dad said that to me, I'd be like, fuck you. After this whole acting out of a tubby, he, he does have this somber moment where he's like, Aaron, I just can't stop thinking about it. And Aaron's like, well, what? He's like, I'm going to be dead in two months and it's going to be painful. Um, so why don't I just end it now? What would, what would it matter? And then he proceeds to like go underwater Like he's drowning himself and he's down there for a few seconds to the point where Aaron has to like lean over the tub. And he's like, "Uh, Joseph, Joseph, come on, come on, come on. And what does Joseph do? Jumps out of the tub and scares him. The second jump scare that we get from Joseph scaring Aaron. And then just laughing about it. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was just joking. I have a really weird sense of humor.
1: This sense of humor is very problematic. Um, It is constantly putting Aaron in, in places of anxiety and fear. Um, I would be pissed. Aaron keeps his cool way more than I would. By jump scare number two, I'd be like, oh, fuck yourself. I don't care if you have cancer. Like, God, stop. Stop scaring me like this. Um, But yeah, I mean, this is an ongoing trend that uh, Joseph constantly likes to really like aggressively startle Aaron. And Aaron always gives a really big reaction. I like that Aaron is very like Passive, like you notice that about his whole performance, the whole course of the movie, he's a very passive, just he's not looking to like stir the pot. Um, and so for him dealing with this really manic guy, because that is something to be said about Joseph, is there's this manic energy about him the whole course of the movie. Um, there's a really nice balance off of them that makes for a very entertaining watch the whole course of the film.
0: Aaron, I like you know, Aaron, obviously, the actor has a lot less to do than the Theatrics that Mark applause is asked to, but I actually like Aaron's performance or, or, uh, Patrick's performance, Patrick Bryce's performance really well too, because he does a great job of playing kind of that. Like, like you said, passive, um, he's also like, you can tell he's uh, doesn't like confrontation, So I think he lets a lot of stuff slide that a lot of people wouldn't let slide just because he doesn't want the confrontation. And that comes into play later on in the film with what he does with, with uh, Joseph, instead of standing up to him and being like, Hey, no, I'm leaving. He chooses to do something else because he wants to avoid that confrontation. And I think that plays really well into their dynamic because Joseph is not stupid. And Joseph catches on real quick. What type of person that Aaron is and that he knows, okay, Aaron is going to be super easy to spin my web around because he is this passive character. Uh, But then, you know, he, she scares him in the tub. Then he asks if he wants to go outside to go for a walk. And Aaron agrees. It's like, yeah, it'd be cool to get some fresh air. So he's like, you better get some, you know what? You might want to get a heavier jacket because it doesn't get cold. There's one in the closet right at the bottom of the stairs. So, Aaron trots down there, opens the closet, and is immediately greeted by a fucking creepy-ass werewolf mask. Jump scare number three, because it scares the shit out of him. And this fucking mask is creepy. It gets creepier because Joseph comes downstairs and is just laughing. He's like, oh, I see you met Peach Fuzz. It's like, yeah, this is just Peach Fuzz. Yes, Peach Fuzz is the name of his mask. And not only that is like apparently it was his, his dad's mask and there's a whole like song and dance number that goes on with peach fuzz that he proceeds to do. He puts the peach fuzz mask on and starts singing the peach fuzz song and doing a little dance has to be the most awkward, awkward thing I've ever seen in my life. This man, this white man trying to dance to this peach fuzz song with this giant werewolf mask on. And I could just imagine what Aaron's face looks like the entire time we can't see it but if it's anything like mine it's like what the fuck
1: this is already like an element to dissect though because the story behind how peach fuzz came into fruition comes up again later and then you learn pretty fast that that story also has to be a lie because something else you learn so i think like you know, you are given a lot of evidence to to realize that you cannot trust a single thing Joseph says. And I really feel like deep down that the cancer, all of this is pure fucking utter nonsense. He's creating all of these, you know, story elements to keep Aaron in his vicinity for as long as he can have him. And I do think that like the main purpose of Peach Fuzz existing is really for you as the viewer, when you hear these multiple stories come up about Peach Fuzz and like how Peach Fuzz came to be in Joseph's life. And then you piece it all together. You're like, Oh, here's just one element that has been lie after lie after lie. How much of this is actually just lies, you know? And so it does, it does add this, this, this uh, again, another little unsettling element to, to just all of the many things that make Joseph so uncomfortable. Um, but this fucking dance, I can't fucking get it out of my mind. It is like you said, is the whitest of dances I've ever seen. I imagine Troy, you probably dance in a similar fashion. Uh, That would probably be how I would dance at at the club after a few
0: beers or a few drinks. Yeah, it's, it's fun. But I also love the fact that it's everything, everything kind of comes full circle at, at at some point because peach fuzz is a, is a wolf mask. At the end of the film, uh, Joseph gives a, a monologue about wolves are his favorite animal and why. And it becomes very like apparent that there's a connection between how he views the werewolves and peach Fuzz and, and himself. And it, it's quite, um, quite clever. So yeah, so after this song and dance with Peach Fuzz, they get in the car and they're headed to this trail where, Joseph says that he heard that there is a, a a hot spring called the miracle waters of the heart that he heard from, from a nice, a, a nice Mexican lady who owns a taco truck down by the park, he says, and reliable. Yeah. And it's, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to have healing powers, but it can only heal people that are pure of heart. So that's what he's looking for. So they get to the trail, they venture off into the woods to find this, um, this spring and this heart shaped spring. And while they're walking through the woods, Joseph does another one of his things where he's like, Oh, did you see that? And Aaron's like, what, what? And remember Aaron's filming the whole time. We don't, we were seeing Joseph through Aaron's camera. Joseph takes off running up, up ahead the trail and Aaron loose sight, loose his of him. So he's like, Joseph, where are you at? Joseph. So he's like walking. There's no sign of Joseph. Jump scare. Number four, Joseph jumps out from fucking behind a rock. Scares the ever-loving shit out of Aaron and laughs about it and says, you know what? You just felt like, you just realized what it feels like to have a near-death experience. He's like, the look in your face, I could tell you wanted to to kill me. And uh, Aaron's like, no,
1: not at all. Not at all. Well, He plays it off like so... Casually, it's so like laissez faire the way he he just kind of you know mutters, like, Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh my god, like he apologizes right away, and then he's like, Oh, you know, wasn't that powerful, like, Oh my gosh, yeah, that had to be really powerful. You felt like a near death experience, and like. Aaron kind of like almost has to go along with it. He's never like, dude, stop it, which I I find almost charming about him. But I've got to say when it comes to these, these jump scares, one of the things I find really impressive about this film is it really, it relies on the same thing over and over and over. But they place it, they time it really well. And there's a really great element of sound mixing here um, where some of these reactions they're really big like there is like element of score almost and this is a film that is you know soundtrack free there is no music in this film it is a documentary style film but they do make these these jump scares feel really big they're very all-consuming you know the shots it's like right up in the camera it's always like uh, very startling and the audio you hear you hear Aaron scream at the top of his lungs Um, ways that you often don't hear men scream in movies like they really take full advantage of the visual and the the audio elements of these moments every single jump scare i assure you if you haven't seen this movie if you're watching in the right environment it will hit it will hit and it will hit hard and your heart will be racing even with the stupidest sequence of just joseph looking in the fucking camera it's still gonna fucking hit because they're very good at what they're doing there's this mention of an axe
0: because uh Joseph tells Aaron, you have a little peach fuzz in you. I can see, cause it looks like you kind of wanted to kill me. Did you see that ax back at my house? And in fact, Aaron did see the ax because when, when he first gets to the house earlier in the film, when he's filming around the property, he actually sees this, this ax embedded into a tree trunk. And he lets the camera linger it on it for a minute. And we hear him go, Hmm. So Aaron's like, yeah, I saw the ax. And he's like, and Joseph says this, which I would have been like, uh, this is probably the biggest red flag of everything he does. And it's just something he says. He's like, when you
1: saw the axe, was there a little bit of you that was
0: concerned that I was going to kill you with it?
1: I'd be like, absolutely no way I'm following you into this fucking woods at this point. There's no way. Exactly. Exactly. That is like the cre- that is the creepiest thing he
0: said, because actually foreshadowing. Right. But um, at that point, yeah, I would have been like, yeah, we're, we're heading back. Let's go back to the car. And in fact, Joseph goes further into the woods. And there is a moment where Aaron stops Joseph. He's like, Joseph, do you even know how to get back? Like, have we even been tracking? And Joseph's like, no. Like, what's that matter? That's behind us. We have to move forward. And Aaron is like, you can tell Aaron is like really concerned that they're going to be lost. He's like, I'm kind of hungry. I kind of want to get back. I kind of want to know the way back. And Joseph's like, nope, straight ahead. We got to keep going. And what does Aaron do? Like, Aaron never stands up for himself because... Like me, you, like anybody, we're like, okay, he's 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 dying. Let's just oblige this man.
1: It's all he has two 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 months left. Come on, there is a limit, Troy. <laughs> there is a limit. I'm sorry. Like I be I I sympathize. I hope he doesn't have cancer. I would I would wish him well. But beyond the jump scares and luring me into the woods, having axes laying around werewolf masks there's too many red flags at this point even you know even for aaron i mean come on now man you got a man up here like this guy i know they're trying to paint it like there's a sympathetic element to him but he is definitely not trustworthy pretty much right off the bat like he is unstable there is definitely something off about him. You can try to pass it off as the cancer. That's a very smart story for him to make up and bullshit his way through to make, you know, to make it a little more palatable the way he's acting. But by the time you've got me fucking wandering into the woods looking for fucking Miracle Springs and you scared me four times over in the form of a jump scare, I'd be like, go fuck yourself. I'm done. I'm done. But here's the thing, Roger. Again, it, it, it plays into the cleverness
0: of this film because yes at this point as joseph is totally ignoring aaron's d- d- concerns about getting lost which is a very rational concern and in fact he just takes off running ahead of jo- uh, aaron it becomes a point where i think the viewer is like oh shit okay so this film is going to become like these t- this this man and this other man in the woods for the rest of the film while, while Joseph is is terrorizing Aaron and it's going to take place all in the woods. He's basically leading him into his, into this, these unknown woods. And that's where the movie is going to stay, but it doesn't. And in fact, what does what happens is that Joseph runs up ahead and immediately is like, Aaron, Aaron, come here. You got to see this. And Aaron comes over and he's uh, Joseph's overlooking a cliff. and He's like, point your camera down there and tell me what you see. And lo and behold, Roger, it is a heart-shaped spring. Very smart, because right at the moment that we as the audience are thinking this guy's a total bullshitter, he's leading Aaron to his death. No, lo and behold, there is a fucking heart-shaped spring there. Now, I'm sure Joseph knew it was there ahead of time. But for us, the audience, and for Aaron, it is a huge reassurance. It's like, oh, okay, okay, it really does. He really was wanting to do this.
1: Uh, I think it's very smart. Yeah, when they share like their first kind of bonding experience, I would say together, there's a moment where they both get in the water and they're kind of almost like blessing each other with it. And um, everything seems to kind of uh, come to fruition. Everything that has been kind of talked about or promised thus far and all of the motivations that the very off-putting and unstable yet cancer ridden. (laughs) riddled um uh, joseph has been spewing you you hear all this and then you you see this come to fruition and you think okay so yes this is definitely it makes sense now why aaron is sticking around longer because you could tell he was like he was at the edge of his rope and then he had this kind of revelation oh maybe this guy isn't bullshitting me and now it's also something that seems very meaningful, sharing this whole like moment of them in this this sacred spring bathing together. Who knows? It's probably just sewer water from that fucking sewer line, but still it seems meaningful to them. And they seem to really, really bond in this. It leads moment. to a couple of bonding scenes because from the
0: hot spring, uh, Joseph asks Aaron, Oh, you said you were hungry. You still hungry? Let's go get pancakes. So Joseph takes him to this pancake restaurant that he mentioned earlier in the film. And they have a kind of a bonding moment over pancakes where Joseph asks Aaron to tell him what his most, uh, something that happened to him that caused him shame or that he was ashamed of. And Aaron just basically tells a story about how he was a kid. He he pissed himself incessantly and his mother gave him this contraption where like it went from his finger. It was a wire that went from his finger down into his pants. And anytime it would get wet, the alarm would go off. And there was a time where he was playing on the playground with his friends and he had to pee. So he just started like pissing himself and the alarm started going off in front of everybody. And he's like, that's the first time um, I ever felt shame.
1: That's a really well-structured story for the character of Aaron because he does seem like a very like kind of insecure. And the little that we know of him, he's played like being very, again, very timid, very... um, uncomfortable and so hearing this story from like his childhood it just seems to all make sense it's a really well-written moment um i do like the little detail here as they're eating pancakes it's brought up that that joseph is like "Ooh, i wonder what the menu's like i wonder if there's anything good and aaron calls out he's like well isn't i thought you grew up in this area like don't you know the menu he's like uh oh yeah the menu recently changed it's like this little detail there's so many of these sprinkled all throughout the movie i really think these are some of the the best um, moments in the film when you you go back and you watch these really little, subtle details, really well-placed all throughout the movie. And if you watch it a second time through, it's like, you know, you're just, you're looking for all these little hidden moments that you're like, oh, fuck, I wish I would have caught that. I wouldn't have even thought to catch that. I really like that little detail here in this moment.
0: Yeah, it's a great little moment. I was wondering if you were going to bring it up because it it does give us just right. At the same moment, we are feeling so reassured that Joseph may be an honest, good guy. There is this little slip in there about the restaurant and not knowing the menu. And we're like, oh, yeah, again, very clever, very clever. Uh, After Aaron reveals the story, Joseph wants a turn. And so Joseph gets the camera back on him. And he just shows Aaron pictures that on his camera, on his phone that he took of Aaron when he first arrived at his house, Um, like going up to the door, looking around and Aaron's like, okay, that's me. Like, why did you do that? And he's like, well, I know it's going to sound weird, but I kind of, I was, I was nervous. I was scared. Uh, I didn't know anything about you. And I kind of wanted to get to know you before we met. And Aaron's like, okay, that is a little weird, but whatever, dude, I'll, it's fine. And Joseph's like, really? It's fine. Yeah, 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 it's fine. It's fine. They head back to the cabin. It's nighttime now. Joseph climbs the stairs and you get this really cool shot of him at the top of the stairs, just silhouetted in, in light, which is probably one of the more uh, well-known shots from the film. I think it's even on the cover of the, of the box art in the poster. And this is when Aaron tells him that he's going to go ahead and head back. He needs to get home. Joseph was like, really dude, I was going to pour you some whiskey. I really think that we should take a minute and just celebrate our day together, our new friendship. And, uh, Aaron, Tries to put up some more resistance. He's like, no, man, I really need to go. I think the roads are probably going to get treacher- more treacherous as it gets darker. Um, and again, Joseph says, come on, just one drink, one whiskey, commemorate our day, and then we can be on our way. You can be on your way. And of course,
1: Aaron agrees. I really appreciate this, this moment here on the staircase because it's very strategic. You've got this great silhouetted shot of of Joseph looking very ominous, um, really well placed pauses, the timing of the dialogue and everything. It's very very um, off putting, um, but the fact that he's like placed on this this staircase, like towering over Aaron, makes Aaron feel so like vulnerable, um, and it just it, it puts Joseph visually in a place of power over Aaron that just makes him seem. Very intimidating, simple little decision. It's a very simple choice, but luckily, because they have this great setup with this cabin, this massive staircase leading up over the side of this, this mountain up to this cabin. Um, it's a it's little detail, but it, just, it really made Joseph seem all the more intimidating as he's just hovering over him, pretty much demanding he come up for a drink, which is the worst possible decision that Aaron could have made.
0: Yeah. I mean, because the minute Aaron steps into the house, what does Joseph do? Jump out at him again. So jump scare number five scares the shit out of him again. And Joseph's like, shit, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't stop doing that. Can I? Can I? Um, there's this moment where they sit down at the table. They're having their shot. And um, Joseph asks Aaron, why did you take the job? Why did you take this job? And Aaron says, well, just pay honestly for the money. And Joseph's like, oh, so you have money problems. And he tells Aaron he wants to give him some money. And Aaron's like, no, 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 man. You don't have to do that. Joseph's like, why? Like, you you have a need. I have an ex- excess. And if, if I was hungry and you had excess food, you'd give it to me, right? So I have excess money and you need money. And Joseph, and Aaron's like, no, no, no. And Joseph's like, well, check your boot because there's a check in it. So Aaron goes down to check his boot. And Joseph's like, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But the fact that you checked tells me you need money. So let me help you out.
1: There's something about the manipulation here that is also very demeaning and degrading. Like there is something that there's something about Joseph that he's definitely getting off of uh, having this kind of power over Aaron. And I think because Aaron is pretty meek, Joseph is almost like feeding off of that. And this whole thing with the money, like, because, again, I don't even think this dude fucking has this money. It's all lies. But simply because he's getting the kind of reaction out of Aaron where you can tell that Aaron is kind of insecure and probably does need money. Um, There's something that Joseph takes away from it that you could tell is just kind of like empowering him and getting out. He's kind of getting off on it. And there's just like a, there's like a sick twistedness to even that aspect. I mean, obviously he goes way further than just this, but to really like tap into this guy's insecurities and play against that to make him feel more vulnerable It's just, it's dark, you know, it's weird. It's twisted.
0: Well, and I think you, you kind of hinted at it. This is a moment where you really get to see that Joseph gets a kick out of these types of moments when he can subtly humiliate Aaron. He finds it amusing. He has a big old smile on his face and Aaron, I think is catching on. He gets up to leave. Aaron's like, you know what? I'm going now. And Joseph's like, no, 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 don't go Aaron. And Aaron's like, why? And he's like, cause I lied to you. And Aaron's like, well, well about what? And he says, peach fuzz, which I would have been like, who the fuck cares? I'm going anyways. I don't give a shit about peach fuzz. It's a fucking werewolf mask. But Joseph tells Aaron, I need to tell you something. I need to get this off my chest. Can you please turn the camera off and sit down? And let me, let me tell you this because I need to tell somebody. Well, Aaron turns the lens of the camera off, but leaves the recording on. So we hear, we hear what Joseph tells him and it's quite a disturbing story. And basically what happened a couple months ago is that his internet on his computer was running really slow. And one of his friends at work told him that, that browser history might need to be cleared. So he goes in to clear the browsing history and what he found was tons of searches and websites on, um, basically animal porn. People having sex with animals. And he says, you know what? I certainly wasn't searching this. So there was only other, one other person in the house. And that was Angela, my wife. He confronts Angela about it. She denies it. Um, So there's this weekend. They decide to go away together to this cabin where Joseph and Aaron are at now. And Joseph pretends that he gets called away to work on the Saturday night. And he goes out and he buys the peach fuzz mask. He sees it, buys it, basically comes back to the cabin through the window while his wife wife is sleeping, puts the mask on, ties her up and rapes her wearing the peach fuzz mask. And he mentions that she never looked happier in her life while he was doing it. And then he leaves her tied up and he just leaves and she never mentions it. And he leaves, he ends the story by saying after that the internet browsing history worked
1: fine. The internet worked fine. What I really like about this moment in hindsight is like, it's a very big moment between the characters and At this point, like you as the viewer are definitely starting to suspect Joseph of, you know, being unhinged to some extent. And this story is very like hard to listen to. But it's also rooted in, like, a place of reality. Like, it's not like he's like, I killed somebody and married their body. He's like, I am having marriage issues with my wife who's into bestiality and I'm struggling with it and I solved it by raping her and she liked it. Like, that's fucking, okay, that's weird. It's twisted. I still don't necessarily, like, hate you as a person. I just am uncomfortable around you, but, like, you shouldn't be raping your wife, but she also seems to have enjoyed it. But what really is, like... Again, in hindsight, more intriguing about this is how intricate the story is, only for you to have a revelation coming up here soon that it paints this to be completely false. And it's such a big thing for him to share. He's so intense about it. He's obviously being affected by it. And it's all smoke and mirrors. But I'm wondering if he's actually done it, just not to his wife
0: You know what I mean? If he's actually snuck in and raped women with the peach vessel mask on, just not his wife, because we do find out here real quick that he, that this wife is not, doesn't, well, she exists, but not not as his wife. Um, After this story, uh, admittedly, uh, Aaron is ready to go. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going. Joseph tries to film his farewell to his son and Aaron is like, no, I got to go. He's looking for his keys. He can't find his keys. He can't find his keys anyway, anywhere. Joseph. It's like, oh, aren't they in your jacket pocket? Your jean pocket? You can't find them. And Joseph suggests that Aaron just stay the night there. He says, I have plenty of soft beds. It's dark. The roads are bad. Aaron's like, no, I need to go home. And Joseph says, I get that. But your blood alcohol is way higher than 0.8. You would get a DUI. So just stay here. We'll have another whiskey. We'll go to bed. And of course, Dad doesn't have a choice. He can't find his car keys. He has to stay. And this is the moment I was talking about. Instead of like having a confrontation, like telling Joseph, you know what, dude, just shut up. You don't need to tell me this. Leave me alone. I'm going to bed. I'll leave in the morning. Instead, he pours them two more whiskeys and the camera is like on the table. Joseph is is facing us. Aaron's behind him pouring the whiskeys. We see as he's pouring the whiskey, Aaron takes something out of his coat pocket and pour it into Joseph's drink. And he brings the whiskey back and allows Joseph to do his final, final farewell to his son. They take the shots, bottoms up, take the shots, and right away you can tell something hits Joseph. He's like, this doesn't taste right. And as he's trying to give his final farewell he's he's kind of like slurring his words he's like yeah this what'd you do this doesn't this doesn't taste right and then all of a sudden it cuts to him passed out on the um (laughs) on the fireplace hearth
1: i like how like not a big deal the whole drugging thing is too it's like it's all from a distance you barely notice it like you really have to catch it to see him do it um it's 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 a very brief blink and you'll miss it moment um but I, I do like this whole twist here where it comes up that he drugs him. I think he plays the whole drugging bit real well, too. It's not over exaggerated. And then you have this nice hard cut to him just passed out, laying there, like snoring. It's like it's a little moment of like levity, a pinch of levity in this film. Uh, but it definitely doesn't maintain for very long. Things get real weird here.
0: Yeah, because he's sleeping and Joe's uh, and Aaron's watching him and he starts, he's like talking in his sleep. He's saying, I love you. Uh, peach fuzz, I love you, mm, Aaron. Come and there is a blatant moment where he's saying, mm, "Peach fuzz," that we see him reach down into his pants and start like rubbing his cock as he's talking about peach fuzz. Um, so then I made, then I, I went back and I'm wondering his bestiality, his bestiality story. Is there some truth to it? But it's him because he's obviously like thinking about peach fuzz and he's pleasuring himself while he's doing it. And then he tells Aaron, come lay with me. I love you. And he wakes up real quick. And Aaron's like, no, 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 go back to sleep. Go back to sleep. So he falls back to sleep. And this is the moment where Aaron reaches into his pocket to get his phone. At the same moment, the phone rings. Now, Aaron answers the phone. And lo and behold, it's Angela, who we have been told throughout this whole film is Joseph's wife, And so Aaron is very much speaking to her like she's Joseph's wife, like, like she's Joseph's wife. He says, I'm here with your husband. He I'm filming for him. Remember? She's like, ah, yeah, no, this is my brother. (laughs) And my brother has some serious issues, Aaron, and you need to get out of that house immediately. And he's like, uh, I can't find my keys. I don't know. She's like, it doesn't matter open that front door and just start walking away as fast as you can. (laughs) And we're like, Oh fuck. And then the phone at the same moment disconnects.
1: This is a big reveal. This adds a really intriguing element here, Troy. This is something I want to kind of take a moment to talk about with you because there's a few things she says in this dialogue that it's clear that she knows that her brother is unstable. She says it, but She also says, like, you want to leave the house and you want to walk away and do not look back. And based off what we, you know, we find out about the character of Joseph, I'm really curious with the character of Angela, who I do believe is the sister. Like, I think her character is not bullshitting in any way. I'm curious, like, how much what does his family know? How much connection does he have with his family? Obviously, they can still reach him by phone. You know, so obviously they still maintain some kind of a relationship. Um, I've never obviously I've never seen this movie until this this viewing. I've never seen the sequel either. I don't know how far that goes into the psyche of the character of of Aaron. Um, There's so many questions I have here, but this really like you get such a brief moment with Angela um, and it, it leaves so many questions unanswered, which I like. But I want to know, like, I want to know, like, does the family, have they completely cut him off? Do they still have connectivity with him? If so, do they know what he is doing to what seems to be a very large amount of people? If Is that why she is warning him and telling him to leave? You know, saying, my brother is very unwell. Like, does she know what her brother has done? Are they trying to find him? You know, like, I just, I would love to know more about the relationship he has with his family cause it's barely touched on. But what she says here is such a loaded, loaded moment with Aaron.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and it, it's, it's intense. Like if somebody's telling you to get out of the house and just walk away, like get out now, something has to be very sinister and she has to be aware of what he is capable of. Um, and that's, we just get this one call because the phone disconnects. Now there is a moment later in the film where, uh, Joseph does make a video and he is discussing that his family has cut him off. He, he has no ties with his family. but So maybe it's just Angela that is trying to um, remain in contact with him because she knows he needs help. I'm glad you mentioned the sequel. There is a sequel to this film that a lot of people th- will say is equally better, if not better, than this film. I saw it and it is fuck, it's great. But I, I cannot for the life of me. I don't think it explores his background any, any more than this one did. Um, It's kind of a similar setup where he gets someone to come um, and and do the kind of the same thing, except this time it's a female. So it's a different dynamic, but I would say, Roger, if you enjoyed this one, definitely check out the sequel. It's also on, on Netflix. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So when the phone disconnects, he goes out to look for um, or goes out to confront Joseph who is gone He's not on the fireplace anymore. So there's this moment where he's like searching around the house for him. Uh, he goes outside, and while he's like walking outside, six jump scare because Joseph f- f- fucking comes out of nowhere and screams death. It's coming! Oh my god! This scared the, the shit. shit. I know it scared the shit out
1: of me. And I had seen this. The film. whole build up here, honestly, Troy. Like this whole this is if we're talking watching you know watching the movie through my fingers. Um, this whole moment of him taking the camera and looking for Joseph through the house, I was not sure what to expect. And it is just it's it's honestly I think it's pretty terrifying. This whole moment of him looking for Joseph, seeing the the storm door cracked open, creeping out onto the porch. This movie its this review in general is going to be a pretty short one because this movie is filled with. Simple, silent moments. There's a lot of moments that take their time. It takes place over a couple of nights. But obviously with the style of filmmaking, it's just it, it feels like when you're watching it, it's in real time. You know, a lot of these moments, they're cut amongst each other. But when you're seeing some of these sequences unfold, you're watching them score free, minimal edits, real time. And so this whole bit of him creeping through the house before you have this fucking death. It's coming. Scare. Holy shit. Holy shit. I literally shat my pants. Well, I didn't literally shit my pants, but, you know, I was I was clamping down because I knew it was I was so scared. I was like, I could shit my pants if I'm not, if I'm not prepared enough. Bust out the depends for these moments, it's, Troy. No, it's tension. It's tension because at this point,
0: we know that shit's escalating. And, you know, the minute a character in a film is usually warned as sternly as he is, we know that all hell's about to break loose. I also like the fact that the film subverts our expectations with that respect as well. Um, at this moment, because yeah, Joseph has this like major breakdown, like crying breakdown where he tells Aaron that Aaron, he's like, Aaron, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And he's crying. And Aaron's was like, man, I know, I know. And, and he's like, I know, you know, but, and then Aaron's like, no, I know, I know what you're going through. I just talked to Angela. And at this moment, fucking Joseph darts away, like literally darts into the house, runs through the house. So we get another moment of Aaron with the camera having to go through the house to find Joseph. And he finds Joseph standing in front of the front door, blocking it, like standing, just blocking the door, wearing the peach fuzz mask.
1: This. Moment is real fucking weird. I mean, for an array of reasons, including how this moment concludes. But, I mean, there is this uh, s- sexual vibe that Peach Fuzz takes on where he starts grinding his pelvis on the door and rifing all over it. And Aaron's like, are you trying to scare me? And he nods his head, Yes and that mask though really that mask like shouldn't be scary it's a rubber fucking werewolf mask but it's just like the eyes are like just obviously just unblinking big yellow eyes there's just something about the look of all of this this whole moment's very uncomfortable um i find the conclusion to this bit a bit unsatisfying because it, it makes an abrupt transition to the next sequence and Um, I would have just liked to have seen a little bit more of what transpired, especially in a film that really shows you pretty, very little overall, like you don't see a lot of shit happen. Um, A lot of it's the making of this documentary. I think it could have used a little bit more here, but I get what they're going for also because it makes it, it jumps narrative. It, It transitions to Aaron's point of view and Aaron's story, not Aaron's point of view filming joseph's story so um it does transition to aaron being the focus moving forward here um for the most part i like the moment i just i would have liked to have seen more of it to be honest
0: yeah no i agree with you it is it is very abrupt because aaron's like are you gonna let me go and he starts shaking his head and at the same time yeah, he's growling and like grinding his his pelvis very sexually. And Aaron's like, let me go, let me go. And there's this moment where we just hear and we see Aaron charge at him and then the camera and the noise gets all fucked up and then it just goes black. And then it comes back on and we are watching a video of Joseph hauling trash bags into the woods and starts he starts digging a hole. And I like that. It's a little bit clever because we're like, oh, is he burying... Uh, is he burying Aaron? Did he kill him? I thought he's you're making me watch Megan is missing. again. But, is what I thought was about to happen. <laughs> uh, no, it's not because what we find out is Aaron now is watching this video. Joseph sent it to him and Aaron does give a little bit of like what happened. He's like, uh, yeah. He's like, after, you know, after I, I charged him, you know, he got up and he ran away and I haven't seen him since he's like, I had to have my car towed and I got back home And now today this arrived and he's like, it's really, it's really weird. I don't know what I'm supposed to make of it. Is is, is this indicating that he's like burying me or something? Um, and he, he throws the video out and there's a couple of moments where like he wakes up in the middle of the night. And this is what I mentioned at the beginning of the review where it's very obvious. Joseph got under Aaron's skin. There's something that's still, um, attracting Aaron to Joseph and the thought of Joseph, because he wakes up and saying he's been having um, really bad nightmares about Joseph. Like one of them is that he, him, him and Joseph were at that heart Springs and they're both wearing peach fast, peach fuzz masks. But then he realizes that his peach fuzz mask is a baby mask and that Joseph is giving him a tubby in in this, in the water. And then the water turns like blood red. And he even says himself before he shuts the camera, he's like, I just can't stop thinking about Joseph.
1: It almost feels like it's going to take a supernatural twist for a moment because he starts exploring these dreams and his nightmares that he's having. And they seem very intentional um, and very specific. And they seem to be repeating. Um, And they're touching on a lot of things that came up in the dialogue earlier. So it feels like it's going to go to a pinch of a. A paranormal, or like I said, fantastical place. It doesn't, which I'm actually happy about. Cause I was like, ugh, I don't need this to go there. I like this being rooted in realism. So it does maintain that. But this is like the, the point in the movie where I was like, what's causing these dreams. They seem very specific, a little too specific. Like would somebody really be having this specific of a dream on repeat? Um, or is it just simply to keep the narrative moving along? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking the same thing. I'm wondering if, if Aaron is just so uh, infatuated with Joseph and like, and I like what transpired between the two of them that is just constantly on his mind. And if things are on your mind constantly, obviously you're going to dream about it, but you're also right. It's very specific. So I'm wondering if, you know, Aaron is having some sort of like premonition You know, he's trying to piece everything together and it's like he's, he's foreshadowing. He's having a premonition of ultimately what his fate is and all these pieces that he is putting together is leading to what ends up happening to him. But uh, after he gets the video of, of Joseph burying bags, he gets this big package on his porch and it's a big box and he opens it up. And the first thing on top of it is a knife and another uh, video. So he puts the video in and of course it's Joseph and he apologizes for sending the first video and he's like, I got you some presents. He's like, I was a little drowsy though because I know you drugged me because I found the Benadryl package in the house. He's like, that's very clever. He's like, I know you got the knife. You got the video. It's like, there's a third thing in the box. So Aaron digs down and pulls out a baby stuffed wolf. And this is when Joseph says, and it plays into peach fuzz as well. He's like, he loves wolves because they're full of love, but they don't know how to express it. So they end up all, often causing harm or death to things that they love or that they want to show emotion to. And he's like, this little baby wolf, I saw it and it reminded me of you. And he's like, you know, you, you had that glimpse of peach fuzz in you. So what I, want you to want to, what I want you to do is I want you to take that knife and I want you to
1: murder it. And you will find that there's a little surprise for you in there. I really like the dialogue here because I mean, Joseph has been rambling the whole movie, but he's becoming like, especially manic with what he's saying. But again, like when you listen to him, there's an element of calm and control to his voice that like it's, you know, just the tone alone, it's not scary. But when you listen to what he's saying, like there's so many times over the course of the film where he implies towards murder or human instinct, the instinct to kill. Um, The whole thing about the wolves bringing them up, he brings them up regularly and how like wolves, like they love very much, but they don't understand how to control themselves from killing like, okay, like, that's not true. Like wolves are like, violent. like, that's not how wolves work. It's, It's like when you listen to what the words he's speaking. They're kind of delusional. Like, they are coming from a place in his mind that seems to have kind of, like, lost it. But he, like I said, he has this element of of control and collect over the whole speech that he's giving that still feels very calm and reserved, in a way. And that makes it all the more unsettling because he never fully, ever, he never loses full control over himself. And, and that makes it, that makes the character just seem very, um... Like he has the potential of of doing even sicker things than we experience over the course of this movie. Like you really don't know just how unstable this guy is because he's always in full control over it. Yeah,
0: definitely. Calculating. He's very calculating. And, you know, um, yeah. So Aaron takes the knife and he cuts open the wolf and he finds a heart pendant. That he opens up and it's his photo and Joseph's photo inside this heart pendant. And then when he closes it, he sees that the front of it is engraved with J and A forever. Creepy. Uh, and obviously he's like, what the fuck? So he throws the pendant out. He, he changes his locks. He calls the cops. There's this moment where he's calling the police. And the police are very dismissive of him because he doesn't really know anything about Joseph. He can't tell him. His real name, his address, nothing. So he's like, yeah, thank you guys for for helping. <laughs> um, that evening, he wakes up and he's saying he's still having nightmares about the hot tub and having tubbies. And this time, he's he's imagining the hot tugs with, with spikes that shoot up and you have to sit on them. I'm like, okay, that's kind of sexual there, but whatever. He hears a loud th- noise. Um, so he gets up, gets the knife, turns on the lights. Starts like like going through his house and being like, hey, if you're here, I got this knife. I'm not afraid to use it. Meanwhile, we see Joseph clearly staring through his front glass door, just standing there the whole time. Still as a boar, just staring in. It's creepy. It's creepy. And the second that Aaron comes back, that we see Aaron headed back to the room, Joseph takes off running. Like darts away. Um. And you know, Aaron goes outside and we get another moment of him just walking around with the camera. He goes through the bushes, he hears rustling. Um, and we think maybe Joseph's going to pop out. He never does. What Joseph or what Aaron finds is just his trash can is overturned and he thinks it is um, raccoons. So he goes back in and goes to bed. But that's not it because while he's sleeping, lo and behold, Joseph comes into his bedroom and is filming him like filming his body, filming his exposed legs. And then he takes some scissors and reaches down and cuts some of Aaron's hair off.
1: Well, I think it's so creepy about this is Aaron probably never even saw that, you know, like, like when you think of like, you know, Aaron's recording all of this to have this, which is smart, you know? Um, But he probably never even knew. He probably never knew that that even happened.
0: Yeah, no, it is super creepy. I always, you know, I always get creeped out by like thinking that someone could come into your room at night and you're completely unaware of it. And I think that's whew, this is a moment where like, fuck, fuck. And he wakes up and he finds that his screen has been cut, and there is a disc in it that says "My Last Video." Um, and he puts it in and he he watches it, and it's Joseph first saying he's very hurt that Aaron would throw away his the pendant. He's like you know what, I could understand you throwing away my first video, but you throwing away this, I made this for you. And this really, really hurt my feelings. And then we get a really deep confession from Joseph. I don't know how authentic it is, but he says, throwing this away, seeing you throw this away, made me had really inappropriate thoughts about what I wanted to do to you. But I, I now I realize that I can't blame you because our relationship was based on lies that I told. And he's like, you know what? I just want to be honest with you to tell you the truth. I've been like this my whole life. I can't control it. I don't know why I'm like this. Uh, My family has cut me off. I don't have friends. I don't have anyone to talk to. I just need a friend. And right now you are my only hope for that. And he's filming this from a beautiful lake and it's Lake Gregory. And he's like, Aaron, I'm going to be here at Lake Gregory tomorrow at 11 a.m. If you want to come, it's a public place. We're out in the open. I just want to, I just want the chance to show you who I really am. I just need a friend. And the video ends and you can tell like Aaron is like, what the fuck, what am I supposed to do with this? And then he has the video frozen on air on Joseph's face. He's like, Jesus, look at him. He looks so sad. I gotta say, you know, convincing, convincing um i don't know that i would have made the same decision that aaron did but i can't say that i necessarily like find it completely unbelievable based on what we know of aaron so far
1: all right absolutely not i would definitely not be the person that would go meet joseph at uh lake gregory uh, aaron is a better man than i am um, which is inevitably, let's be real, his downfall. Um, but he does, he agrees to me, Joseph, and I just think, like, oh my God. Like, yes, he seems sad, but he's also lied to you so much over the course of this film, and you know it. And there's so many things that have happened that are so weird. But as you said at the beginning of this, Troy, like, if you look back on this, you know, compared to as so many other films we've seen, the things that have happened over the course of this movie. Are pretty subdued and subtle and and again, calculated. And so the fact that Aaron is simply uncomfortable um, but not fully aware of exactly where this is going, I think really plays into the film's favor. I still think he should have absolutely taken this DVD and just taken it to the police and said, here, here's my here's my reasoning for a restraining order. Tell me this isn't fucking weird. Show him, show him all the DVDs. Oh Well, the, I guess he did break in and take the other DVD back. That's true. But still, you got a video that this guy busted into your house and placed in your fucking window of him confessing that he's been lying to you and stalking you? Like, is this not exactly the kind of proof that I think the police would look for? I don't know.
0: No, he, I, I feel like his his trusting nature takes over. And gets the best of him. And what he decides to do is the next day he goes to Lake Gregory. And he thinks he's being clever because he sets his camera up facing this bench he's going to sit on. And he says, he's, he's like, okay, Joseph, I'm here. But I have my camera set up and my phone, my cell phone is set to speed dial 911. So he goes to the bench, sits down. Um, you know, it takes a moment. He does look around for a minute, but then he just kind of sits at the bench, kind of unsuspectingly not looking around at all. His back is to uh, the vast openness behind him. He's totally oblivious to. And sure enough, we see Joseph walk into frame right directly behind uh, Aaron. And Joseph slowly takes out the peach fuzz mask, puts it on and then pulls out that shiny ax from his overcoat and very deliberately slowly raises the axe and we are like are we is he really gonna fucking do this is aaron ever gonna turn around like hello like how can you not know somebody's behind you unfortunately aaron doesn't turn around and unfortunately joseph does do it he slams the axe into aaron's head top of his skull and we hear it we hear it and then he, Aaron just falls over and he raises the ax again and it cuts. And we see that Joseph is watching the video himself. And I mean, this was sh- pretty shocking. And, you know, I was at this, when I first saw this, I was like, turn the fuck around. Why aren't you turning around? And it's funny because Joseph mentions it. He's watching the video. He's like, you know what, Aaron, it was very smart of you to record this and to have your phone set. But he's like, what I don't understand. Is why you didn't turn around. He's like, but then I started to think about it. You didn't turn around because you trusted me and you didn't think that I was going to do you any harm. And he's like, that makes you the best person in the world. And that's why I love you and you're my favorite
1: of them all, he says. All this dialogue here, like, one thing that's very consistent with the character, and I think. One of his potential downfalls, if it was someone who was maybe a little bit more aware of what was going on, is he does consistently kind of slide into like these manic rambling statements Um, that, again, I think were passed off as like being a symptom of his brain tumor that he claimed to have. But now when you're hearing what he's saying, I mean, it's really it makes no fucking sense. Like it really makes no fucking sense because you are the best person in the world and I love you. And like, it's just, it's like this weird, like, I mean, it's, it's like, he's forming this like collection, which you learn, he's literally forming this collection, when he says of them all, like, there are others, because this revelation at the end, is one of my favorite aspects of the movie, like, I want to know just how many times that this fucker has convinced people to go through this same shtick because it's clear, this is not the first time I want to see what's on those other videos. I wonder if anybody else became a little more savvy To it, I think one thing I find really enjoyable about this movie leading up to this moment here and what we're about to find out is so many times when you watch a film, the protagonist is the one that is the strongest one to be put into the predicament and thus overcomes or at least comes significantly closer to overcoming what is the evil force or the antagonist they're put up against. Aaron is just another... Just just another drop in the bucket for this guy. I mean, like this Aaron is it seems is no different from what we find to be an array of other people that he has done this to. And Aaron really never even had an idea of what was coming. And so you're kind of just watching like one of these innocent victims, unlike anyone else. Um, so again, I'm curious what happens in the next creep in creep two, because I hope somebody finally does kind of get to stand up to this guy. Aaron never has that opportunity. And I think that's really an interesting approach for this film. Um, He never really gets to be the protagonist. He gets out of one predicament, but then he puts himself right back into it. And he's immediately executed. Uh, You don't see that a lot. You don't see this structure, this basic formula that you're presented with in this film. I don't think you see this a lot in horror movies. And I think it does make it feel very fresh and stand out because of that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, again, check the sequel out, folks. If you haven't seen the sequel, check it out because it does, I think, allow a lot more uh, character dynamic and and uh, a character that is not afraid to stand up to, to Joseph. And we do get a lot more. I, I do think there are some more subtleties revealed in the sequel um, about Joseph that I think maybe fill in a lot of the stuff, though you're questioning in this. I need to check the sequel out again. It's been forever since I saw it, but I do remember thinking, oh, wow, this is a sequel that actually is really fucking good compared to the original. Um, but yeah, so we get this final jump scare where, you know, as, as Joseph is watching the footage over and over again, almost having an orgasm while he's watching, he's like, oh God, that looks, he all, he's, sc- he comes and screams into the camera. So we get that one final seventh Joseph screaming
1: jump scare. And it's quite effective. That one scared the shit out of me. I wasn't expecting that. Oh my God. It was it was fucking horrifying. Like this movie has no business scaring me as much as it does, but it's because it's literally just in a barrage of jump scares. This movie can go fuck itself. And I say that complimentary oh, yeah. because it really did scare the shit out of me.
0: Yeah. And then we get the final scene where we cut to him taking a phone call and he's answering the phone as bill. And on this phone call, he's arranging for another videographer to come. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to pay you a thousand dollars, eight hours. Come. You're, yeah, you're, you're down. You're good. As he's arranging this next meeting, he opens up the cabinet and puts Aaron's video in there. And we see this cabinet is full, full of these videos um, and, but Aaron's has a heart on it because he still thinks Aaron is his favorite for some reason, but yeah. Yeah. So he has been doing this for a long time. His name's probably not even really Joseph because he now he's calling himself Bill. I mean, there are so many questions that come up that, yeah, I mean, this film has balls in the fact that it leaves the viewer with so many questions. Um, and, you know, I mean, it, it's like I said, it, it it could be, it could be frustrating that there are so many questions left o- open, but it's actually kind of refreshing, and it really it makes you think and ponder, and like you said, fill in your own gaps. Do you, was it, was Joseph telling the truth about some things? I don't know. It's a brisk movie. Less than you know, it goes by pretty quickly. It's less than eighty minutes long, and you know, it, it's one of the more, I don't know unique found footage first-person narrative films out there, I think.
1: I'm going to say that I think this is a very smart movie because it's not trying to give viewers the same exact experience every found footage movie tends to provide. I think it's really easy for found footage films to fall into a paint-by-the-numbers. You've got to hit all the key beats. You have to hit all the same jump scares. This gives you the jump scares. But it also very much like manipulates your uh, basic thought of what's happening and your expectations. It very much manipulates your expectations because the character of Joseph is such a manipulator. And it leaves you with so many questions, but I think that's very intentional. And this is why I think this film is so smart they want to leave you thinking about this movie after the fact. Like, I have been dwelling on this story. I've been dwelling on these characters. I've been asking myself whether or not I think that, you know, certain elements of what Joseph said had truth to it versus was it all completely fabricated. I am even questioning the aspects of his sister and the relationship. Like, there's so many things I've been thinking about after the fact, and it takes quite a quite a well-constructed film to leave the viewer pondering so much after the viewing experience. You know, I walked away from this movie and then watched it again. And then I walked away from it and I had still had questions after viewing it multiple times. And I think that's really impressive. Um, and it makes me eager to watch the sequel. Cause I'm, I'm yearning to have some of these questions answered. I want to know more. You know, there's a lot of films that after I finish watching it, I'm like, okay, I'm good. I never need to explore that again. This is a film where I think a sequel is justified and, Necessary, And so I really am excited to watch part two. I'm going to wait until we cover it because I want to go in with just as the same fresh eyes and, you know, same experience as I had with this. Um, because if it, the reviews are as good as they seem to be, 100% Rotten Tomatoes, not like that really means anything. Mm-hmm. But still, come on. Like, it seems like the overall consensus is that sequel is pretty fucking great. Um, so I'm I'm curious to see where they take the story. And I hope that they do maintain this kind of simple very like I mean it's not overly elaborate it's not like something where you're trying to you're trying to follow along and don't know what the fuck's going on this storyline here is very simple it does it a lot of favor because of the style of the film that it is no yeah the sequel the sequel is
0: Pretty much the same. Like I said, it's a female this time. There's a lot, there's more things going on, more, more things that happen in the sequel than this one. It's a little bit broader in its scope, but yeah, check out the sequel. We'll have to cover it at some point. Um, I mean, I can't say enough about this film. It's one of, you know, probably one of my favorite found footage films out there. Or first person narrative films. If you don't necessarily want to call it a found footage film. Uh, I think Mark Deplos is brilliant in the film. Um, it's a performance that definitely gets under your skin. Um, and guys, I mean, let us know your thoughts on, on creep. I haven't seen a lot of podcasts cover this, so be curious to hear what our listeners think of, of creep. And, you know, if it got under your skin, what, what are the effective parts of it for you? Uh, would you have been as forgiving and, and whatnot as our poor, uh, Aaron was? And I mean, yeah, so, so that's creep. I think you know, we'll wrap up here. This is pretty, a pretty short review, but it's a pretty short film. Uh, I, do, I do think we want to reveal what we're covering yes. next. Oh, my God,
1: yes. Also, like, yes, I think we absolutely want to reveal that. And I also want to give us credit for the fact that, like, we jumped right into the review today. Uh, you're welcome, listeners. Like, we did not barrage you with requirements and demands to, to, to give us five-star <laughs> reviews, join our Patreon. You know what? We're, we figured let's get right to the meat and bones of the material today. But lest we forget, there is a Patreon that's out there that you can choose to follow if you wish. There is an opportunity for you to leave five-star reviews on multiple platforms. And a nice written review would be very kind and generous of you. It's the Halloween season. I think this is the season to spread your love for a horror-themed podcast such as ours. Um, and I th- certainly think it's the season... To cover the next title we will be covering. Which is your choice. It is my choice. And you know what? Some people love it. Some people hate it. I'm going to say that I prefer this one over the fucking original. And y'all can come for me all you want. But we are covering a title that people have a lot of opinions about. And it's none other than the original Halloween 2. Not Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Not Halloween... Kills Halloween Two, not not the second part in any other trilogy. We're going back to the original Halloween Two. Yeah, uh, Rick Rosenthal's Halloween
0: Two. Uh, I, I think we just leave it there because I I I think it'll le- lend us a good conversation. So Halloween Two. We haven't covered a Halloween film yet, guys, so this is going to be exciting. We've covered Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We've covered a Scream film. We've covered uh, Friday the 13th on our Patreon, but we've never covered a Halloween film, and we we thought, you know what? It's October. It's going to be the month of Halloween-themed films, uh, so here we go. And Creep hitting the first part of October, but I will give Creep, I'll say Creep has some Halloween elements to it. It has that fucking wolf mask. Hey, there you go.
1: I'll never look at Thriller the same when he's in that fucking, like when he turns into that goddamn werewolf. I kept thinking, I was like, he looks just like Michael Jackson in the werewolf costume. Yeah. But yeah, this this movie definitely did, uh, I think, kick off the tone of the Halloween season. uh, And we're about to jump into it head fucking first, like a pile of leaves, you and I, Troy. Absolutely. It's going to be a Halloween themed October for us.
0: So guys, thank you for tuning in. Again, five stars on Apple Podcasts. And join us next week for Jamie Lee in that horrible wig. Uh, Halloween 2. I love that
1: fucking wig. I love you. (laughs) I love the listeners. Have a good night. All right. Good night.